welcome to the World Game Podcast. Today uh, we have a, a special edition because we are uh, next to uh, Martin Tyler. Martin, how are you? How are you enjoying this World Cup so far? Well, I'm in good shape. Um, I must say, uh, the amount of travelling that has been done is perhaps more than most World Cups. It's a very big country, isn't it? Um, but it's been a pleasure to work for SBS on the on the games and um, I'm, I'm probably in better shape than some of the players <laughs> who've put in a bit more physical effort but loving it it's been a very good World Cup very even World Cup I think that's the key to it uh, virtually all the games have been really competitive a lot of the matches have either been drawn or decided by one goal either way so uh, I, I guess that probably means we haven't got a truly outstanding team that's carrying all before it but it does mean that we don't know who's going to win it in terms of uh, uh, comparison, I know it's always hard to, to compare, but uh, you've done many World Cups. Uh, how this one so far rates in terms of the organization and probably the delivery towards the expectation we all had at the beginning, which were not that high? Now, that's a really good point. I think there was certainly us that live in Western Europe. You know, Russia gets a pretty bad deal with its image. Uh, the politicians obviously are more responsible for that than the people that we've been meeting on the ground. Um, my experience of World Cups generally is that it's four or five weeks where everybody um, connected with the host country does everything possible to make us all welcome. It's a wonderful experience to be received and the hospitality. Uh, I'm never quite sure what it was like before and I'm never quite sure what it's like afterwards. So we're, we're favoured guests really. But the hospitality has been terrific. Uh, the quality of the organisation has been excellent. The transportation has been pretty good. But I must say, with the need now for a smaller number of people, sorry, a, a smaller number of matches and the greater number of people to go to those matches, it's going to be tested to the full. We, we're having some problems getting the right kind of flights to get our crews around, even to get me around to a couple of games. So, uh, but I, I think I see Russia in a different light. But I am aware that what we're experiencing at the moment, which is great, absolutely great, the smiling, open-hearted approach from particularly the young Russian people, a lot of volunteers who are enjoying, I think, mingling with people from other countries. Um, I am conscious that that may be just for uh, June and July <laughs> and things might change a little bit. But you know, the, no one lives in a perfect country and what problems Russia has... Uh, certainly, uh, they're not the same problems, but there are problems in the United Kingdom, there are problems in Australia. It's, uh, there isn't a perfect society, and I think we all learn from mixing with uh, the, um, the different nations. And I've certainly learned a lot here, uh, and I'm, I'd be intrigued. I, I shall certainly, perhaps more than some of the World Cups, I'd be very intrigued to see how it pans out after this and probably following Russian affairs a bit more than I did beforehand. When we uh, look at the, the passion for football in Russia, um, this probably could be compared to maybe the World Cup in South Africa or uh, South Korea and maybe not so much Japan, but South Korea, because the national team is, is, was not performing on a the, on the very big scale. When you look at the World Cup in Germany, in Italy, in France, you know, in, uh, all those teams were performing. So there was a real passion for the locals. But here, they almost are rediscovering this love for football and this love for sport in general, because sport was never really a good news for the, for the latter year in, in Russia. It, becoming, it, it is becoming a good news now, good news story. Yes, and I, I think the team deserve that kind of support. 
I'm not quite sure where the transformation came from, but I was doing the opening game and obviously I knew from pretty much the beginning of January that I would be covering that. So I followed the Russian team and the Saudi Arabian team very much with that in mind, you know. Uh, so I probably did more detail on, on Russia than, than maybe some of the other countries. And there wasn't too much to hang your hat on. In fact, it was pretty hard to imagine what the team was going to be, even up to the time the lineup came out for that first game. And there were two or three changes that caught us all by surprise. So it, it has really helped because the fear that from within Russia and the fear from all of us here, thinking the World Cup will not catch on um, on a general basis within this country because Russia won't do well. But they've confounded the critics. Um, they do have their weaknesses. I did the game against Uruguay when I know they had a player red carded, but they were 2-0 down already when that happened. And that showed a bit of a gulf in class. Um, but they dug in against Spain, where I also was at the game as well. And it, it was a remarkable feat of um, defensive discipline and, and, in the end, good penalty taking and some outstanding goalkeeping. What uh, makes a World Cup great in your eyes? I mean, you've been to so many World Cups. With your experience, what still gives you the fire in the belly to enjoy this after so much experience from your side? Yes, my 11th World Cup as a commentator, but um, there are two factors, really. I think there is the football side, of course, most importantly, and the excitement you feel before every game where particularly in this world cup where you really don't know what's going to happen i mean some of the storylines have been amazing haven't they i didn't commentate on the japan belgium game but you know that's typical of what uh, of what the competition has given us i did do a france four argentina three which uh, flew by and and made concentration on it very easy so i think the football is is obviously the reason we're here and although at the end of matches you might judge what's gone on and maybe a bit harsher in your criticism. When you're commentating on a match that's not perhaps caught fire, it's still exciting because you don't know what's going to happen. And I think that goes for the tournament as well. At the end, we might say, well, it's been won by this or won by that, and maybe it wasn't quite the, the vintage champions. It might be, don't get me wrong. But I don't think we can make that call until the tournament's finished, rather like if a match finishes. So, as always, loving the football, loving the chance to hold the microphone and work for SBS is a, is a great pleasure. Uh, the other side of it, which I've already experienced to the full, really, is the wonderful joy of seeing um, the game that we all love, bringing together all these fans from around the world and bringing the football family into one place at one time. Uh, extraordinary sacrifices, I'm sure, made by some supporters to to get here and to afford the, the cost of getting into the games and backing their country, backing their teams. But doing it in a way, obviously, as an Englishman, I felt very keenly the the agony of the hooligan era. Uh, was I can remember 1998, as in this World Cup, England started against Tunisia. And that was in Marseille, and it was awful. And I ran to the station. I got on a train because my next assignment for SBS was in Nantes, which is a long way from Marseille. Uh, and I was on a sleeper, and I shut the door, and I vowed that if anybody spoke to me, I would only speak French, and that's not very good, my French, but it was, would be good enough. Uh, and I wouldn't want to, I was ashamed to be English. So. Last night, I came back on the train, the, the Metro from England's game uh, and dramatic win over Colombia. 
and I was proud to be English because the, the fans were in great spirits. They were engaging with the Colombians. It was a party. It was probably a bit too strong a word because it was very small hours of the morning. Everyone was tired, but uh, they were enjoying each other's company and, and cheering when the Colombians got off at a certain stop. All the English fans applauded them. And uh, it, it, that's that's more important. The football for me is obviously so important, but I think for general society, uh, I've always believed the World Cup is a force for good, and I've uh, only had that reinforced by what I've seen in Russia. If we look at the matches ahead, the things that are coming up, the quarterfinal, if we start with Uruguay-France, uh, where do you see the key factors, the key points for, for that match? Because it's two different styles, uh, opposite styles, and two teams that are, uh, one is super strong in defense, maybe the strongest defense to, the, you can find around, and France, we're not too sure what they're capable of. No, I think both nations could win the World Cup, and obviously they can't, one, one of them's going to go out now. I do think that uh, the France performance against Argentina was extraordinary, really. Uh, my impression is that Didier Deschamps is quite a conservative coach, and at 1-0, France were pretty comfortable until Di Maria launched that uh, missile past Hugo Lloris. And then, of course, the, the goal happened at the start of the second half. And France were almost forced into um, being less conservative, being more open and using the attacking skills that they've got. Um, I think they'll need to use those attacking skills. I think if it's a conservative game, Uruguay probably more capable of winning it. Um, I'm a big fan of Luis Suarez. I know he's been through all sorts of difficulties, but he's a... A tremendous player. You'd love to have him alongside you in a game because he works and works and works. Uh, Cavani came off. I, I don't know what the latest is, whether he's, he's okay, I hope, from a Uruguay's point of view. Um, but it could be all be about Paris Saint-Germain again, <laughs> as it was against Argentina to some extent. And obviously that day was with Cavani getting his two goals to knock out Portugal. So um, a lot of good players, um, typical of the tournament, and probably the top end of the tournament, two sides that really deserve uh, a huge amount of respect and it's a bit unfortunate for them that they've had to meet this early. Brazil, Belgium. Um, Belgium, the ultimate underdog for, for several competitions now. Uh, can they topple the ultimate favourite Brazil? Well, I have to start a bit better than they did against Japan. I thought uh, Roberto Martinez, who I know very well, used his uh, substitutes extremely cleverly and All right, um, Japan probably just about ran out of steam at the end, but it was an extraordinary game and, and Belgium would have taken a great heart from it. Uh, they have a lot of expectation on them now from in their own country. They, everybody knows they've got good players. Um, but it's Brazil and I've done the last three Brazil games, 2-0, uh, 2-0, 2-0, uh, efficient. Uh, obviously some sparkling moments as well, but... Casemiro suspended. That's not a, a, a good news for Brazil. It's another one that's hard to call. The tournament's hard to call. I don't think it's impossible for, for Belgium to knock Brazil out, but probably on the shade of it, you might say Brazil will, will find something. I, I, I've been a bit worried about Neymar and some of the antics that he've got on with it. It's not part of the modern game. Do you know what? I did a piece for SBS, a little piece for... Um, for the program, just a minute, minute and a quarter. And I said, this has not been a cynical World Cup. 
and he's probably been the most cynical person. Of course, as the, the tensions get racked up as we get nearer the, the ultimate prize, there will be more. Uh, it was uh, a few fights broke out in the Columbia England game, didn't they? I think it will get more tense and therefore more scratchy a little bit. But um, I think Neymar's much. He should be better than that, and he really should um, you know, have somebody telling him that. But I don't know whether you get to that superstar status, whether you listen to anybody. But he is in the same dressing room as Mbappe, who looks to me like a young man who sets himself high standards. And um, I think uh, the teenagers should have a word with the Brazilian superstar and say, hey, you're a great player, behave yourself. <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, what's funny with Neymar is that even in Brazil, they are taking on him for falling and doing some antics. That Even the country there, they're, they're sort of taking it on. I, I was commentating on the incident with uh, Lyon. I know enough about football to know that that could have not been an accident. I also know enough about football to know that if you writhe about like that, um, you've either, you're not going to play again in the entire World Cup or you're putting it on. And, and I watched him extremely closely when the game restarted and I think he proved the point that he was, um, he was acting and, and he was running about and playing. And of course, he, you know, he decided the game. So you don't need to be like that. You know, I don't know whether... I mean, I've seen the emotion. He cried at the end of the win over Costa Rica, and he obviously cares. Um, he's still a young man, but he should know better. And if Brazil, if the people of Brazil are telling him to behave, then I think he probably will. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Croatia against the host country, Russia. Uh, I think for me, that's one of the hardest to pick as well, because we've seen both sides of Croatia, and we've seen both sides of Russia as well. So what Croatia, what Russia is going to turn up for that match? My fear for Croatia is they run out of steam, you know, they've started tournaments in the past extremely well. Of course, in 1998, that wasn't the case. So they've got a blueprint from that. Um, they did well. I, I mean, I know Kasper Schmeichel extremely well and I know what, uh, how clever he is at putting people off at penalties. And I really thought he would win the shootout, you know. I also thought that when the decisive one came up, that Rakitic would score. I, I was at, you know, shootouts, when, especially when you're commentating, you, you can't commit. But in my heart, I was absolutely 100% sure that Rakitic was the right man and he did the job. Um, better than Russia, aren't they, Croatia? They are better than Russia, but Russia have got this host nation, uh, and what a host nation, 144 million people. Um, they've, they've got a whole weight of support. Um, I don't know what the expectation is. Uh, a lot of the Russian fans that we see around the hotel here, they're, they're, they're very surprised at what's happened. Um, I think Russia could go out with dignity at this stage but they won't want to, and it's another one that could go the distance. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, both nations have gone through on penalties. It wouldn't surprise me if we had another shootout. Do you think Russia sets the, the eye on what South Korea did uh, for their World Cup semi-final and nothing less right now? Is it, is it a possibility that the management of Russia is saying we can't go out before semi-final because South Korea did it? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, South Korea were in a joint bid with Japan, so and they went out much earlier. So um, I don't know. No, I, I mean, I love my World Cup history like you do, but I think uh, the fact is there's a fair chance that the winners of this game will be playing England in the semi-final. So, uh, you know, that that's uh, be a target. If it's not England, it will be Sweden. So, uh, you know, the it's foolish to look beyond the game that you've got to play but I would quite like listen everybody knows I'm English and England haven't won the World Cup since 66 but it has happened in my lifetime and a lot of English people it hasn't happened in their lifetime but so I would like it to happen for for them um, but I, I, I in my heart really in my football heart I would like somebody to win the World Cup for the first time I think it would be good to spread you know, it happens in European championships. We've had Portugal and we've had Greece and then we had Denmark quite a long time ago now, although it doesn't seem that long ago. So there's a chance in those competitions for the underdog to come through. It's been much harder in the World Cup, hasn't it? But Italy didn't get here. Germany have gone. Spain have gone. Argentina have gone. So there is some opening for maybe someone who hasn't won the World Cup before, or maybe someone who hasn't won it since 1966. <laughs> Actually, that's a good lead. England against Sweden. Can England win this World Cup on set pieces only? <laughs> yeah, that's the way it's looking, isn't it? It's interesting. The, uh, the officiating has concentrated on the fouls on the England uh, attackers, many of whom are defenders, but, uh, and hasn't really looked at the setup. To see whether there's any infringements in the first place, I, I, I think England have been very clever. I'm coach, and I know how you can block off um, a defender so that you can get a good run at the ball because somebody's taken your marker out. I must say, I, I've been looking for it, but I haven't really seen it. So I think what's happening is being done within the, uh, the, the limits of the law and, and within the spirit of the game. But it is surprising I mean, that so many go. They look. Uh, it's a bit like. Um, hockey, field hockey, where you get a penalty corner, which usually leads to a goal, doesn't it? Now, Sweden know all about, I mean, there's a huge relationship, a wonderful relationship between Swedish football and English football. The fans uh, in Sweden grew up watching English football on the television. They were the first country in Scandinavia to have these round the world broadcasts, you know? They, uh, they've all got memories of the great Leeds United teams and Liverpool teams and the huge connection. Um, but they, they've done quite well against England. In fact, they've done very well against England, Sweden. But in the 2012 European Championships, England beat them having been behind. Uh, so I, I would think England are slight favourites. And, you know, you're into a semi-final. They've only been into semi-finals twice, once when they went on to win it in 1990, when, of course, they only lost in a shootout. So they've not actually lost a semi-final in, in, in pure footballing terms. I've asked this question to many English fans. Are you, as an Englishman, allowing you to dream now? this could be possible or is the, the motto at the minute in England let's not run faster than we should there's one match and another and another to win this World Cup I'm delighted I'm broadcasting for Australia because I know and I've said this on the air actually I know that uh, there will be a sway of people who want England to win the World Cup and there'll be a, a chunk of people who won't want England to win the World Cup and I try to treat them England are one of 32 countries here Uh, they're now one of eight countries that are left, and, and I do treat it like that. But I suppose if you ask me what hasn't happened in my commentating career, which is 
now well over 40 years, I've never said the words in a commentary, England have won the World Cup. Um, I'm not going to have many more opportunities. So personally, I want to get it right for, uh, like with every commentary, I want to get it right. And professionally, I feel like that. Deep down inside, I don't know if, if England got to the final and then I'm holding the microphone, I don't know what will happen because you can never, you can work hard at your professionalism. Emotions come from, you know, we, we're all um, slaves to our emotions, aren't we really? So I, I, I really don't know if, if it happens, but we're still a long way away. And, and I think you, you summed it up perfectly when you said, don't, uh, don't run before you can walk. Because there's, of course, this sentence in England, uh, they think it's all over. It is now. Uh, so in your head, maybe there's, some, there's something people have been grew up with for a long time. That's a really good question. That is, um, especially as somebody, actually, uh, not many people know this, but I'm happy to tell you. Uh, on the 50th anniversary of the World Cup win, so two years ago, I made a program called The Boys of 66, which was uh, a real honor to do with all the players who are still about involved. And I actually went on the pitch at Wembley and um, did some links from there. And I was, and, and then they gave me, there's a replica of the World Cup in the Football Museum in, in Manchester. And they brought that down and I was able to, not, not quite the same Royal Box as Bobby Moore went up, but the one that's there now, I was able to hold the World Cup in front. It was, it was an amazing experience. Um, but alongside that, We have um, a Monday night football program in which um, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, uh, obviously fine ex-players, uh, analyze matches, the, the match that happens on a Monday night. But they made this a special, they got the rights to cover, uh, to show the World Cup final, and they were going to do a Monday night modern day analysis on the game. And the BBC's commentary that you just quoted, Kenneth Wilson home, who was a, a marvelous commentator, Um, the BBC didn't want us to use it on our channel. So I was asked, would I put a commentary on the World Cup final of 1966? Uh, and I thought long and hard about it. And I thought uh, I, I, would, I would be playing catch up with, with what Ken did. Uh, and there was another commentary available. ITV covered the final live as well. Uh, and a broadcaster called Hugh Johns, who did some work in Australia. Uh, this is a long time ago, but somebody listening might remember that. He, he came out and did some, um, some matches in Australia, uh, probably 40, maybe 40 years ago. Um, he had done it. So I said to my bosses, look, ask ITV whether they can use Hugh's commentary, which had never been heard since 1966. Unfortunately, ITV said yes, and that was me. I, uh, it would have been... It wouldn't have been right. It, it, I, I could have acted it out, but I don't do that. I don't write lines of commentary. It just comes out. And, and uh, if I am lucky enough to commentate on a World Cup final involving England, that will be the, the case again. Um, and if I do say England have won the World Cup, there might be a lump in my throat. People don't see this, but you got your eyes shining. When he said, <laughs> "Well, uh, yes, it, they would be shining then." But I have to say, I, I'm emotional for football. Um, I always feel sympathy for the losers. I've been a loser in my football career, player and coach, and I'm still coaching now. And we lost the penalty shootout final to get in the national league in May the 13th. Unlucky, unlucky day. And and the penalty shootout was a bit like the one. 
Colombia filling against England because we were ahead for a moment in the shootout and then we ended up losing and it's really tough to take. So I'm, I'm well aware of, the, of the, both sides of the emotion. Um, let's see what happens there. Let, let's see what happens. We, if, I promise you, if we're here on the Thursday before the World Cup final and England are involved, we'll have a chat about it then. Okay, no problem. And if it's France against England, it would be even better. Yes, it would be. Uh, it would be amazing for you, and uh, you probably wouldn't want to interview me then. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Thank you, Martin. It was a real pleasure to have a, a bit of a moment for you, and then uh, enjoy the, the rest of the World Cup. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. <laughs>